We honor and revere our saints as role models for the Christian life. But in California, activists have toppled the statues of a saint who sought the common good for all. It's our most cherished liberty, but religious freedom is under stress throughout the world and even here in the U.S. Plus, a look at two Supreme Court rulings and how they impact our life and our faith. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Hello, and welcome to A View from the Top. I'm Teresa Peterson filling in for John Morris, who is off today, and I'm here with Bishop Gregory Parks of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. Well, Teresa, welcome to A View from the Top. It's great to have you with us. And for those who may not know, you are our Executive Director of Communications for the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Yes, thank you for that introduction. Uh, Yes, I've been here about three years serving in that role. But this is my first time hosting A View from the Top. And again, I am just a substitute for John Morris of Spirit FM. But I'm so happy to be here today. And we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in in the news. And it's wonderful to hear from you, Bishop, to give us a perspective on some of these things that we're hearing and maybe adding a a new insights into some of the things that we're hearing. One of the things that has been really top of mind for a lot of people is the protesting that we're seeing in the streets. And um, the church does support peaceful protests for important causes like racial injustice. However, we've seen some of these protests turn violent and we've seen vandalism and it's really hitting close to home. There is a statue of a Catholic missionary, St. Junipero Serra, who was toppled in Los Angeles and San Francisco. This was an 18th century saint. He founded nine Catholic missions in California. And, you know, he's helped to convert thousands of native Californians to Christianity. Some people say that he was an advocate for native people and a champion of human rights. But others say not so much. What do you say about this? How should we view historical figures when they can't speak to defend themselves and historical records can be conflicting? Sure, that's a that's a great question. And I have to start out by letting our listeners know that uh, this is kind of personal to me, and I'll explain why. In 2015, when Pope Francis visited the United States, his first and only visit to this point, one of the things he did was come to canonize St. Junipero Serra in Washington. And I was actually present for that mass of canonization. So it was, um, at, at the time, it was a, a day of joy, you know, for the church and a, a day to celebrate this missionary saint who, who, as you said, came from Spain and traveled to Mexico and eventually came north up into what is now California, establishing missions along the way, what's known now as the, the Mission Trail in California. Unfortunately, there are some that believe that his practices or the way that he chose to uh, evangelize, particularly the Native American people, uh, was not always done in the best way. In fact, some say that he oppressed them, that he suppressed their Native practices and forced them to to, to, to become Christians. And, of course, that's in, in conflict with what we believe in the church. So um, it's very uh, disturbing to me to see uh, these statues either be being uh, vandalized, taken down, or or being forced to be moved to non-public places where where this uh, very special saint can be honored and, and revered. 
Well, what should we do as Catholics in terms of learning more about the history? So, of course, you know, reading the lives of the saints has been a, a devotional practice for Catholics for for a long, long time. And there's so many books that are available and, of course, information on the Internet now where we can just type in a saint's name and get a complete history of, of their life as we know it. But I would also say something you mentioned earlier about, you know, how do we deal with history? As you mentioned, St. Junipero Serra lived back in the mid-1700s, and here we are in, in the year 2020. So we're you know, several hundred years removed from the time that he was with us. And history is what it is. You can't go back and change history. And we rely upon historical sources to really define history at that moment. We, we can't impose our own values today on something that happened, you know, over 250 years ago. So we have to acknowledge that. And personally, uh, I don't agree with revisionist history where people try to go back and impose their own values and idea of what happened at a particular time in history. So what I would say is that the church, when they canonize a saint, they're not saying that that saint was perfect, that they never committed a sin in their life, that they had no flaws. That's not what they're saying. It, to my knowledge, there were only two among us who never committed a sin, and that was, of course, uh, our Lord and his mother Mary. The rest of us are sinners, so saints were sinners as well, but yet uh, many of them, most of them, uh, were also people of incredible and heroic virtue. That's really helpful. Thank you. What is your view on religious art? There's also been a lot of chatter recently about religious art and how some of the historical figures are not represented uh, true to their ethnicity or racial background. Um, What is your view on that? Well, I I would say art, of course, is very subjective. Um, So you have to look at it in, in the way that you're viewing it. But I would use as an example images of our Blessed Mother, You know, there's so many different images that we see around the world of Mary. For example, Our Our Lady of Chestahova, who is is very dark-skinned. You know, you have, um, of course, Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, which would look more uh, Latin in in appearance. Of course, images even here in the United States and in Europe, she looks more Anglo. So there, there are those different cultural differences which are expressed in art. And it's a way of helping the people of that local culture to uh, be able to enter into the mystery of that person and into who they were and the message that they came to proclaim. So I, I, I do think that there are cultural differences. And we see that also with our Lord. You know, how many different nativity scenes do we see with Jesus depicted as a baby uh, in one particular way? And then in another scene, he looks different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we remember that that Jesus, of course, was God, the Son of God, and that we're made in God's image and likeness. And boy, aren't we all a little bit different <laughs> as well. So it's really an opportunity for us maybe to also expand our horizons and look at the art that has been created to represent Jesus and Mary and you know, so many uh, figures in our faith to see how they do really reflect us and we reflect them in so many ways. And you can actually, when you go to a museum, you know, some of the great museums in Italy or in Europe, uh, there's a lot of classical religious art there. And you can almost trace it as you, you go through the centuries to see, you can almost tell by a piece of work of art what the culture was like at that time and what they were trying to express through the image that they created, whether it be a sculpture or a painting, uh, something of that sort. Wonderful. Well, we're in the midst of Religious Freedom Week. It continues through June 29th, and this is an opportunity for us to pray for the right 
to practice our faith, the faith that we love, and also teach the faith. I would say religious freedom is embedded into our democracy as Americans, and which is a huge blessing. But it's a constant struggle to preserve this freedom. Would you agree with that and uh, explain this? Oh, I, I certainly would. I mean, our, our country, I, I think, was founded on religious freedom. So it's a, a fundamental right that we have as Americans is, is the freedom to practice our religion as we embrace it. And people might say, well, how is religious liberty being threatened? You know, nobody's preventing you from going to Mass, and and that's true. But there are other ways that believers can face persecution, and their liberty or freedoms can be limited. And while some of those are still being uh, developed and talked about, so let me explain maybe a little bit about what I mean. You know, there's government actions, there's laws which are put into place which can contradict our moral teachings and beliefs. So these become laws in our country, but yet they're not things that we as Catholics can embrace because they're not in accord with our moral beliefs and teachings. So um, we hope that they are never imposed on us, but who knows? That could be a possibility at some point. So that's why the church speaks up for religious freedom and liberty, is to make sure that our our beliefs and our teachings are protected. You're talking about like maybe having... um Having a Catholic doctor who's required to perform an abortion that he finds morally um, reprehensible? Yeah, something like that. We would Anything that would force somebody to violate their conscience or the moral teachings of our faith, even you know, a church a minister, could you imagine you know, a priest or a deacon being forced to perform a marriage of two individuals of the same sex? Because you know, that's not in accord with our teachings. We believe in a traditional understanding of marriage between one man and one woman. But yet these types of marriages are taking place in our society, in our country today. Uh, we haven't been forced to do them. Mm-hmm. But again, the future is uncertain, and that's why we need to to be firm in this and to continue to promote and, and preach our, our freedom and liberty. Well, that brings me to the Supreme Court decision recently where justices ruled that the prohibition on sex discrimination in employment in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 – now prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation and transgender status. The church opposed this decision, and why is that? Sure. Well, first of all, let me say that the church agrees and that we should not discriminate against somebody because of their sexual identity. So that's, that's in our catechism. That's a, a belief of our faith. The problem with the decision that the Supreme Court made was that it sought to broaden the definition of sex. So we believe in a biological definition of male and female as created by God in his image, and that's found and based in sacred scripture and in the tradition of the church. This broadened it to include, you know, people's attractions and their behaviors and their self-proclaimed identities. And so that's where it it gets into an area which is is gray for us because it sought to broaden our understanding of what, what sex means, strictly biological, male and female. Well, there was another Supreme Court decision that we as a church actually celebrated, we were in favor of. It's regarding um, the ruling to maintain DACA, which is a program that allows young immigrants to remain in the U.S. to study and work 
even though they were brought here by their parents through illegal immigration. Why does the church celebrate this decision? Yeah, this was a good one for the church. This was a win. (laughs) For our listeners who may not remember, back in 2012, uh, then-President Obama issued an executive order called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And as you just said, it, it allowed those who were brought to our country, not because of their own choice or decision, but because they were brought here by their parents, It gives them a certain status to be able to remain here in our country as long as they fulfill certain requirements. So um, President Trump had said that he opposed that and he wanted that executive order rescinded. So what he was in essence saying is that for those who are here on DACA, that eventually that they would have to return to their home countries where some of them have never They don't have any memories of it. If they came here when they were an infant or two years old or even five years old, they've grown up as American children, now as uh, adults, young adults, and they consider themselves Americans. And so um, the Supreme Court said that there was no justifiable reason to overturn that executive order at this time. And that's a... That was a good decision, I think, because we do believe in immigration, of course, legal immigration. But in the case of DACA, we're dealing with individuals who came here not because they broke the law uh, or were purposely seeking to do that, but because they were with their parents. And uh, as you know, Teresa, we have a, a priest in our diocese who is a recipient of DACA. Uh, his name is Father Felipe Gonzalez. Yeah, and isn't that a testament to the contributions of immigrants in our community? Sure is. Just Father Felipe came to the United States with his parents when he was 11 years old. He came from Colombia. And eventually his parents were forced to return to Colombia, but he remained here. I think he was already in seminary or close to it at the time. And he was able to remain here. He discerned, obviously, his call to the priesthood and was ordained a priest uh, for our diocese. And uh, serves here now as a priest mm-hmm. here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. So that's an example mm-hmm. uh, of an individual who is covered under DACA and the reason that we are supporting this decision. We started uh, talking about a saint. Now we're going to talk about another saint, actually two saints, Saints Peter and Paul. The church celebrates uh, their feast day on June 29th. You know, we honor their contributions to the faith, their martyrdom. They died for the faith. And Peter was the first pope, and Paul was a missionary and an evangelist. Um, how should we observe this day? And also, what else do, should we know about these two courageous men of faith? Of course, uh, all of our saints are very special uh, people in the history of our faith. But when you talk about Peter, St. Peter and St. Paul, you're talking about two giants of the faith. St. Peter, of course, who was entrusted with the keys given to him by our Lord and was our, our first pope. And St. Paul, who was the great missionary, uh, who was a convert to the faith, but yet embraced it and was a true missionary disciple, traveling around to many places and spreading the faith. So, um, you know, we, we again, with saints, we, we honor them, we reverence them, we don't worship them in the same sense as we worship God. But uh, we can certainly pray for their intercession. You know, for example, St. Peter, we can pray for our current pope, for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, that he fulfills his calling as the current pope and vicar of Christ. And then we can pray through the intercession of St. Paul that we might also have that missionary spirit uh, that we're called to have in terms of spreading the gospel, the good news through our daily lives. 
Well, I can't finish the show without talking about COVID-19. You know, it's just everyone's been impacted, and, and we pray daily on, on the radio. We pray in our churches for all the people who have been impacted by this uh, this disease, you know, either financially or health-wise, or a loved one that they know is ill or have lost a loved one. But I wanted to hear from your perspective how do you think the church has been on the front lines of the COVID-19 response? And who are our so, so um, quote-unquote essential workers? Good question. And uh, I would just say that even though we are returning now to public gathering for worship, for daily and Sunday mass, since the beginning of this pandemic and this crisis uh, in our country and in our diocese, we never closed. Our churches, our parishes remained open. Uh, what we consider to be essential services of the church, things like Catholic Charities, uh, St. Vincent de Paul, uh, those types of ministries remained open and, in fact, were even more active because there was such great need during that time and, and continues to be. So those would be some examples of essential personnel or essential services that really were called into action uh, during that time. Um, our listeners might have heard possibly in the local news about Hillsborough Hope, which was a kind of a, a camp, uh, a shelter for homeless people in Hillsborough County, where for a period of two months we housed a uh, hundred homeless individuals and fed them, gave them a, a tent, a place to live, but also tried to provide them with a hand up in terms of some social services so that uh, once they left Hillsborough Hope, uh, that they're being put on a hopefully a path for success of being able to care for themselves. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Um, I know this is some a segment that you usually have with John. Uh, what has been a blessing for you this week? What do you want to share in terms of blessings? <laughs> yeah, I always, uh, you know, very hopeful and uh, positive person. So I always look, even in the midst of difficult times, for good things that are happening. And I can always find things here in our diocese. So uh, two things this week that have caught my attention. One was the graduation um, of our graduates from the Lay Pastoral Ministry Institute last evening, and some individuals from our diocese who graduated from CEPI, the Southeastern Pastoral Institute. So in the case of LPMI, they've been um, preparing for four years. They've undergone a program to be formed, and so they can be able to engage in various ministries in their parish and in the diocese. So it was a joy to be with them. The second thing that's been a blessing this week is to see the Good Samaritan Project, even in the midst of COVID-19 and all the challenges that we still face with that, we're still having some semblance of a a Good Samaritan Project, combination of small group gatherings at parishes and other sites where the uh, young people can do service projects, but then coming together online, for example, in the evening for kind of a wrap up and some music and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of, a lot of good things happening, even in the midst of the difficult times. Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar with the Good Samaritan Project, um, you can go to the Good Samaritan Project dot com website and see some of the materials they're creating. They're creating great uh, videos that teach about the faith, and um, they're sharing those with our young people. And but anybody can access them. So that's a great point. So, well, could you close us with a prayer and a blessing? I would be happy to. Let us pray. God, our Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. And we thank you for always blessing us and for caring about us. We place our worries, our anxieties, those things that we are carrying with us during this time that are causing us trouble. We place them in your your hands, asking that you help us to be relieved of those burdens and entrust them to you. 
We pray that you send your spirit upon us to lead us and to guide us in our lives always, that we may continue to courageously live the gospel always for your glory. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org slash bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.